Welcome to THN on the O, the Hockey News' exclusive podcast about the Ontario Hockey League. I am Ryan Kennedy, joined as always by Tony Ferrari. And Tony, we are going to start off this episode with some hot news out of Kingston. Coach Luca Caputi is out with the Frontenacs. Uh, Kingston, obviously, you know, expectations weren't super high this year, at least, you know, from an outsider's perspective. But what's your initial reaction to this news? I was shocked. It's the third coach already this season fired. It's kind of interesting that they're getting fired this early. And yeah, Leaf legend, Luca Caputi, not not back with the Kingston Frontenacs. They haven't uh, released who's going to be taking over the duties. It literally happened about half an hour, 45 minutes before we started recording. So it's going to be interesting because, like you said, it wasn't like they had these championship aspirations necessarily or really high expectations at all. It was kind of a year where make the playoffs, get some of the younger guys some minutes, and see where you can build from. So it's kind of kind of a little surprising to see Luca Caputi out, but ah, that's what happens in the OHL and across sports, right? Guys get fired, and we never really know the full story of what exactly went down. There you go. Uh, let's move on to... The positive side of the ledger, as always, we do our OHL three stars of the week and Mississauga once again in the spotlight. The Steelheads have been a wagon, so this one makes sense. First star of the week, Porter Martone, the right winger, seven points in three games. Uh, this kid's up for the 2025 draft, so not this summer, but summer after that. Tony, what would you like about Porter's week? He's been fantastic all season. I think he was at excellent this week. Uh, he didn't end up getting player of the week. That did go to our second star, who we'll talk about in a minute. But every time I've watched Porter Martone this week, this year, he's been a difference maker. He's a guy that understands where to be on the ice. He plays with such a fun blend of power and speed. And he has the offensive tools you love to see. This is a really fun kid. And, I mean, the 2025 draft is well, well away from us. But he's already one of my favorite players from the draft class to watch across the entire draft class. So, it's going to be fun to see what Porter can do. And I know, I know he's a fa- favorite of a lot of people around hockey. Indeed. Favorite of mine as well. And, you know, it's interesting because you're right. The 2025 draft, it is a long ways away, but you know, I mean, you and I in this business, we're always thinking a little bit ahead and looking at that draft class, even just from an OHL perspective, mm-hmm. Michael Misa, Malcolm Spence, you know, those were sort of the obvious, like, high-end guys. And then, obviously, you have James Hagens with the USNTDP, who could also go number one. But at this point, I kind of think to myself, like, okay, well, how high is Porter Martone going to go? Like, he seems like an, a slam dunk top ten, but maybe at this point he's even, like, top five. Uh, any, any early thoughts on that, Tony? No, and that's kind of where I haven't slotted in, right around that five range. I could see three three guys from the O going in the top five next year. It's going to be really interesting because, like I said, Malcolm Spence is such an electric player. We saw him at the Halenka score, that, that gold medal winning goal. He was so fun to watch there. And he's a guy that I, I think when he's at the top of his game, there aren't many players that are better than him at, at that age group. But he does have some inconsistencies, where, and that's where Porter Martone kind of takes the cake with him. I think – He's a consistent player. He plays physically, he understands how to play offensively, and he's developing his defensive game. So I think he could be a top five guy. I still think Misa kind of holds the cake, but he's had a slow start this year so far. So we'll have to see. We've got a long way to go, though. There you go. And Porter, Mar- Porter Martone, a second-generation OHLer. His dad, Mike Martone, was a rugged defenseman with the Peterborough Peets way back in the day. He was actually drafted by the Buffalo Sabres. So uh, I know speaking to Porter last year, 
when I went to a game in Mississauga, obviously his dad is somebody that he's had a lot of chats with about playing hockey. Moving on to that second star that you alluded to, Tony, Anthony Romani, right winger with the North Bay Battalion, uh, coming off a great week, six points in two games for the boys in green. What do you like about Romani? This is a guy that scored a bunch of goals this week, five goals. It's like you said, six points. He had a hat trick the other day and he only played in two games this week. So he had three points in each game, a goal and two assists in the other game. He's been really fun. He's a veteran guy that plays on that North Bay team. I think it's going to be really fun to see where that North Bay team kind of gets their offense because every week it seems to be a different guy. Ty Nelson was in on the action this weekend as well. A really good week for him. But Anthony Romani is, is a fun player to watch. He looks like an OHL vet and he's one of these guys that you don't have to really worry about. He, he's not going to be fantastic. Is his NHL future all that bright? That's a question. But for now, it, it's fun to see Romani do his thing at the OHL level. Indeed. And for our third star, we'll go south from North Bay. Most things are south of North Bay. Uh, but <laughs> Braden Gillespie, goaltender with the Guelph Storm, uh, coming off two wins with a 929 save percentage. Your thoughts on uh, Gillespie? He was good this weekend. I thought it's always good to have a goalie kind of stand up when you need somebody to play. And Guelph's kind of trying to figure things out, I think, still this season. They've been up and down a bit, and he had a really good weekend. So anytime you have a goalie that stands on his head a bit, I think he only had to make 39 saves over the two games. But there, there wasn't a lot of easy saves that he had to make. There was a lot of games or a lot of a lot of time in the game where he was making a big save that kind of spurred the, the storm to go the other way. It's fun to see a goalie play well above his head. And that's kind of what Gillespie did this weekend. Right on. Okay. So move on to a couple of other big stories in the OHL right now. And both of them involve team Slovakia, as it would turn out. We got Philip Mesar being returned to the Kitchener Rangers uh, by the Montreal Canadiens. He had, started the season in Laval in the American Hockey League with the Rocket. And then Dalbor Dvorsky, uh, who we mentioned last week, scores in his Sudbury debut. So let's start with Philip Mesar. Very interesting to me because I had spoken to him in the summer at the Upper Deck Rookie Showcase, and he was very much looking forward to the challenge of playing against men this year in the AHL and it, it felt like him and Montreal were on the same page there. Obviously things changed, but let's look at the positives here. The Rangers are already seven and, and two Hunter Berstavich, the uh, Vancouver Canucks pick the defenseman is absolutely on fire for them as are a couple of other guys. Um, but Tony, what do you think of Philip Mesar rejoining Kitchener and, and what he brings to the table? I was a little surprised by it because I watched his HL debut uh, last week and he, he was really good in it. I thought he was effective. He looked like a guy that can play at the pro level. He's already played against men in Slovakia for a couple of years. He's produced there. So it's not like this would be a new thing for him necessarily. The AHL is a different level. It's a level right below the NHL. And we've seen a lot of players going to the AHL and struggle. But I thought Mishar was ready for that challenge. I really did. So seeing him go back to the Kitchener Rangers was a bit of a surprise. Now, I think last year they'd hoped he was going to dominate. He was very good, but he didn't dominate. So I think they sent him back this year. They go, go dominate the OHL. You're still not 23, 24 yet, so you have time. There's no rushing him to get there. Montreal's not in a hurry to get their prospects into the NHL lineup or anything, so they can take an extra six months, extra year if they need to. So sending him back to the OHL makes some sense, 
And I, I think a lot of it had to do with just the, the stockpile of, pro, of players and prospects that they have at the Laval level. It, it's a solid team this year, and, and Mishar maybe just kind of was a victim of the numbers. Mm, fair enough. And uh, let's go over to Dvorsky for a second. What did you think of his first couple of games with the Wolves? Felt like he got some chemistry pretty quickly with some of their top guns there. Yeah, his first game he was on the line with David Goyette and Quentin Musty, two very, very good players. Uh, and it was fun to watch at times. There was definitely some some growing pains. There was moments where he kind of was making a pass that I think he's just not used to making to certain guys yet or, or someone's making a pass to him. And they're not quite on the same page yet, but he was really good on the power play. And I think that's where it, that's where you want to see him kind of really shine because that's where his bread and butter is. His first goal in the OHL in his first game was absolutely fantastic. A big one-time shot. And that's what he's going to bring to the Sudbury team. He kind of puts that offensive cherry on the, the on the cake. I think that's going to be really fun to watch throughout the year. And like you said, great chemistry with those top guys. In best case or worst case scenario, they break up the top line and, and they leave Musty and Goyette on the top line, put Dvorsky get second line center, let him drive his own line. And you kind of have a, a, a embarrassment of riches with that Sudbury lineup right now. So, it's going to be really fun to watch because he is a very, very effective player at the junior level. We've seen it for years. It's going to be fun to watch him adjust. And then, like like I said, get right on that same page with those teammates where he was just a little bit off in those first two games. Indeed. And, you know, Sudbury does have some pretty nice depth when it comes to their forwards, as you mentioned. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do. Quick little question. Mesar Dvorsky, who scores more this year, in your opinion? It's a good question. I think it's going to be fun to, to kind of track those two because they're kind of at similar levels developmentally. I'm going to say Mayshar is going to score a little bit more, and I don't think it's going to be this 20-point gap or something, but I think Dvorsky getting used to the OHL game, getting used to new teammates and everything, whereas Philip Mishar is already a guy that had, I think, 51 points. Yeah, 51 points in 52 games last year. He's a bit more of a playmaker, so he can let guys kind of put, put his teammates in a good position to succeed, whereas Dvorsky needs a little bit of help sometimes in, in getting himself the, the puck and getting scoring chances. So I think for the most part, I think we could see Philip Mishar score a little bit more, but I don't think it's going to be a question who's going to have more goals. I think Dvorsky is going to be the guy that feasts up there. Yeah, fair enough. And, you know, just to wrap this up, to me what's really intriguing is that we get a bit of a sneak preview, as I mentioned, of, of Team Slovakia for the World Juniors with Mayshar and Dvorsky. And again, it was kind of funny uh, talking to Mayshar in the summer. He was he was hoping that maybe Uri Slavkovsky would come back for a World Juniors. And I was like, eh, he might be busy. He's like, yeah, probably. But Shimon Nemich, uh, the New Jersey Devils pick, uh, who went number two overall behind Slavkovsky, you know, he's in the AHL right now. He could certainly return for the World Juniors. And then you got Dvorsky as well. I mean, that's an amazing start for a junior team that already has you know some pretty decent depth. I, I liked their team last year. I think they're only going to be better this time. You got Adam Guyon and Nett, the Chicago Blackhawks pick. I think they're going to be a, a really fun national team to watch. And as long as they don't run into you know a Canada again in the quarterfinal, this is this could be you know the first time we see Slovakia make a, a really good run and uh, in a while. And then that's great experience for Mayshar and Dvorsky when they come back afterwards and rejoin two OHL teams that certainly have some, some high aspirations, would you not say? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, like you said, those two are going to get over there, and I think they're going to wreak havoc, honestly. It's going to be really fun to watch because I think Slovakia is going to be – I think even last year they were, but I think they're going to be everyone's sexy, sneaky pick. 
Uh, their sleeper pick for a medal. Maybe they, a lot. Of, we see a lot of people with them in the bronze medal slot. I think they could make the run. They've got a lot of quality depth. They've got that high-end talent. So they're a team that, at least in the last few years, has been really, really fun to watch. Like you said, they just got to avoid Canada or, or maybe the powerhouse U.S. in that, that quarterfinal, and I think they can make it through. Indeed. And, yeah, I mean, at this point, I would almost I, – I would have the Americans as my favorite – uh just i think they have more high-end talent this particular year and better goaltending or at least more obvious goaltending in trey augustine yeah uh and it'll be interesting to see quentin musty of course is american uh hailing from the buffalo area be interesting to see if he makes team usa and ends up playing against dalibor dvorsky uh moving on to some other international competition the World Under-17 Hockey Challenge, uh, the Canadian rosters were just announced. There's going to be two teams this year, Canada Red, Canada White. 17 OHL players split between the two squads. Uh, Tony, give me a couple of names of OHL players that uh, people should look out for. Well, I think the first one for me is Jack Ivankovich. He was a seventh overall pick in the OHL draft last year by the Mississauga Steelheads. But he hasn't really played all that much. He's only been in three games this year. And I guess for goalies, especially a 16-year-old goalie, you're like, that's not too bad. But this is a very high pick, a really highly touted goalie. But with Ryerson Leanders, the 17-year-old draft eligible in front of him, playing absolutely out of his mind. We've talked about him a number of times on this podcast. He hasn't really gotten the run that I kind of expect him to get early in his Mississauga career. So I think it's going to be fun to see him kind of get back into his age group, see what he can do there, and really assert himself as the top goalie of the age group at for the Canadian level. And then for me, it's it's Brady Martin. I think he injured, he got hurt in the first game of the year. He hasn't played since. Um, he was a knee on knee hit, and I'm curious as to whether he's actually going to be there. He was named to the roster. Does that mean he's healthy enough? Does that mean he, that Team Canada's talked to him and he thinks he can be available for November 2nd? It's going to be interesting because he hasn't played since uh, September 29th, but he's a fun player to watch. I know he's one of your favorite guys, too. He is. You know, watching him with the Waterloo Wolves uh, at the OHL Cup, uh, I will never forget, you know, watching the, the one game where it went into overtime and he grabbed the puck and there's actually some teens in the rink filming with their phones and they managed to film him going end to end for the overtime winner. And if there was more than like 20 people watching, it would have brought the house down, but I just felt, you know, blessed to be one of those 20 that was watching it in the middle of the day, you know, on a Thursday or whatever it was. So yeah, for me, I mean, the power, the shot, the compete level, uh, Brady Martin, I just think he has such a bright future. Um, I'll mention a couple of other players for people to watch. Uh, first, obviously, being Matthew Schaefer from the Erie Otters. Schaefer was the number one pick overall in the OHL draft. Martin went number three. And, you know, so much talent. Tony, I know you've done pieces on, on Schaefer and spoken to him in the past. So this would be a really good chance for him to sort of strut his stuff. And also, I would say Ryan Rubrek uh, with the Niagara Ice Dogs. He was, you know, in consideration for first overall. To me, he had a really tough OHL cup. He seemed a little disengaged, but we know how much talent he has. He's got that great frame and obviously he has skill. And I would point out for all four of these guys we mentioned and for everybody, really this tournament in particular can be a real big springboard for OHL rookies, yeah. because as you mentioned, you know, with Ivankovic, you know, hasn't really played much, you know, Martin, obviously, you know, getting hurt is, you know, affected how many games he's played. But it's often the case that 
even high picks in the OHL draft, their first year, they don't get a ton of ice time. You know, they've moved away from home for the first time in most instances. They're getting used to the OHL. You know, it can be tough. But then they go to this tournament. They're playing against their peer group. They can get a lot of confidence back just by being at this under-17 hockey challenge. So, you know, whether you win or not, I feel like this tournament has a lot of benefits for these young players. So it'll be interesting to see who can kind of ride that momentum once they return from the tournament. Going to turn our attention now to our NHL team prospect pipeline of the week. It's the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Very close to your home there, Tony and Windsor. Uh, And we'll start off with Tanias Mathurin, the big defenseman at the North Bay Battalion. He was a fifth-round pick in 2022. This is an interesting player. Uh, I think it was probably one of North Bay's broadcasters they made this comparison a couple of years ago that they thought Mathurin with all his strength and athleticism could be maybe a Zach Bogosian type. I've always been impressed when I've seen him live because of the size. He, he is that kind of different build, if you will, of, you know, he's not going to be that mobile puck rusher necessarily, but Tony, I'm curious what you've thought of Tanias Mathurin so far. He's a throwback player. I think he's a guy that I think, his mobility isn't the greatest and he can get exposed a little bit when he's trying to kind of pivot and make those turns at times, but he's really smart at closing the gap really quickly guides guys to the outside. And when he's in front of the net and in an opposing force trying to screen the goalie, that guy's getting his back beaten up that night. And tonight's Mathurin is more than willing to just throw some cross checks, just push guys out of the way and be a bully. He's, he understands that he has that physicality. You mentioned the athleticism and he is kind of one of those raw athletic guys. I think the, the hockey is still being taught to his body and t- taught to his mind. And he's still trying to figure it out, but he understands what he's able to do at this level. And at the junior level, he's able to kind of rely on that physical brand of, of just being able to play hockey in, in that physical way in front of the net, beating guys up along the boards, kind of, getting the puck out and just making simple passes every once in a while, he'll flash these really nice activations, the offensive zone or these, these kind of quick movements and quick passing plays where he'll do a give and go with a guy along the half wall in the offensive zone, but they're just not there consistently enough. So I think you see those little flashes, you want them to come out more, but because he's such an athletic freak, he's able to kind of fall back on those gifts that he has is his NHL future really that high that's kind of the question for me is i don't know which kind of nhl player he would be if he does get there i think zach bogosian at least in this later stage of his career is probably a pretty good comparison that third pair guy who plays good defensive minutes brings some of that physicality brings some of that net front production that teams that need all the time every team kind of always seems to have that third pair guy that just you put him out there you can rely on him for 15 minutes a night and he's not going to make too many mistakes and i think Maybe that's the kind of guy Mathurin can be, but he's still got to round a lot out kind of in terms of just learning the game of hockey, I think. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, he did miss significant time due to injury early in his, earlier yeah. in his OHL career. And, you know, that's something that you really can't take for granted when you're talking about teenagers and their development is you really have to kind of tack on an extra year uh, in terms of, you know, where they should be on their curve when they do miss time like that, I do. And I would agree with you. Yeah. I wonder if he could become that, you know, like a Scott Mayfield kind of defenseman, yeah. maybe even a Radko Gudis where, yeah, maybe he is only a third pairing guy, but you know, you, 
you put him with somebody who's maybe a little flashier and he can be that crease clearing stay at home player. Uh, perhaps way down the line, he could be paired with Andrew Gibson, who is the other player we're going to talk about here, uh, who is a Red Wings pick. Uh, Gibson, another defenseman, also six foot three and about 200 pounds. Uh, but he has a lot more offensive upside to him. Uh, nine points in 11 games already this year with the Greyhounds. And ironically, Gibson missed a good chunk of time last year. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was a lacerated kidney. Uh, but he's back. He's healthy, which is wonderful. And uh, Detroit took him in the second round. Definitely was one of those guys that seemed like he could be a real kind of sleeper slash gem because of the time he missed. You know, teams didn't get as many good looks at him as they probably would have liked to. But so far, so good for Andrew Gibson in the suit, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he's one of the pillars in that back end. I think that Sue Greyhound's back end is the strength of their team, and Andrew Gibson's kind of the leader of it, I think, at this point in his career. He's a guy that, like you said, he missed a lot of time last year. I think he did have the kidney injury. He also had a shoulder injury, and I think there was a lot of last year where he was just playing catch-up, and you saw little flashes of his offensive ability. You saw little flashes of what he could be, but there were a lot of moments where you could just tell he was a step behind just in terms of conditioning, in terms of just game readiness, just because – by the time he got going, everyone was already in midseason form and playing catch up at that point is a little bit tough to do, especially when you're a 17 year old defenseman in the OHL trying to be a really good player for that team and being relied upon a lot. And he was relied upon a lot last year. So I think he is a guy that has a little bit more offensive upside. His start to the season this year has been really, really good. He's looked a lot better. And I think the big thing for him is there's just a, a refinement to his game this year that you didn't quite see last year. You see these flashy bomb passes. You'd see these big hits along the boards and stuff, but you could always tell he was a little hesitant at times with that shoulder. He was a little hesitant at times going in and, and hoping to not re-injure himself. Cause I know at one point he was playing hurt because he did re-injure the sh shoulder. And it's just kind of that kind of getting through something like that. Is, it's tough to do, especially in your draft year. If you can play, you end up playing and does that hurt your draft stock? Obviously it didn't too much with him getting drafted in the second round, but he's a player that I think still has more to show and still has more to give. And I think that's going to be good for the Detroit Red Wings at the end of the day. They've built a, a pretty solid prospect pipeline. And even though Andrew Gibson was just drafted this year, I think when you're talking to a lot of Red Wings fans, he's still kind of the forgotten guy on the back end because they have guys like Edmondson and William Belinder and uh, uh, Anton Johansson and, and all sorts of guys already at the AHL level. They're not really thinking about the guys that aren't, aren't at the AHL or NHL level yet. So it's going to be interesting to see where his development goes because I do think he can kind of fit into that top six in Detroit eventually. There you go. One of the best non-Swedish defense yeah. prospects in the organization right now. Uh, but it's gone pretty well for the Red Wings, so makes sense. Uh, we're going to go now. We're going to finish up with our NHL draft prospect of the week, and we're going to stay on the blue line with Zane Parekh from the Saginaw Spirit. Uh, Parekh, as some of you might know, broke the OHL record for goals by a 16-year-old last season. So obviously he has that offensive component to his game seen as kind of a high risk, high reward player. Uh, I think we saw some, some pretty nice things at the Helenka Gretzky tournament in the summer uh, off to a great offensive start, 11 points in eight games uh, for the spirit. And he is a right shot. Everybody always loves that. Uh, Tony, you see him kind of in the 10 to 20 range right now. I think I see something pretty similar myself, but what are your, uh, what are your thoughts on Zane Perez? 
he's a really fun offensive defenseman. Like you said, he he broke the offense or the goal record for 16 year old defenseman last year. I got to see him live actually this past Saturday when he was playing in Windsor, uh, as Windsor hosted the Taylor Swift night, which I was so happy to attend. Um, Interesting. And Parekh was out. Uh, was absolutely fantastic in that game. He didn't have. I, I don't think he had a point in the game, but he was really really strong activating from the blue line. He was excellent on the breakout. He was just kind of in control of the game every time he was on the ice. And I thought that was really interesting. And even defensively, Windsor did end up winning that game, only their second of the year. But uh, Zane Preck, when he was on the ice, was kind of in control. He understood how to t- make reads on, on defensive uh, retrievals. He understood how to break the puck out and evade pressure on four checks and stuff like that. So he was doing all these little things. And then in the offensive zone, I noticed a more refined Zane Preck this year. I, I noticed a guy who was trying to find the seams and trying to make passes rather than just getting open and firing bombs on net. And he still did that from time to time and had a couple of good shots, including one crossbar in the game, but he wasn't really forcing the play. And I think that's what you saw a little bit from him last year. And you went, man, this guy could be fun if he ever figures out how to not necessarily get tunnel vision and shoot all the time as a defenseman. And this year he started to do it. He started to break down the wall. He started to manipulate guys as they try to defend him in the offensive zone. And, He's done a really good job of it. I think there's a lot of growth in his game still to go, especially on the defensive end when he's dealing with in-zone play. I think he's pretty decent against transition for the most part. But this kid offensively can be a difference maker. It can be a game changer. I think it's really interesting. They've gone from Pavel Minchikov last year before the trade to the Ottawa 67s, and they handed the keys right over to Zane Perec, and he didn't miss a beat. He's still that dynamic, incredible offensive presence on that blue line. And him and Michael Misa have kind of formed this really fun young pairing together. Uh, Michael Misa up front and him on the blue line. It, it's been dynamic for their power play. Indeed. And interesting you mentioned, you know, I, I spoke to Zane Perec uh late last year and he talked about what an influence Pavel Minchikov was when he was there and also uh, for that same piece talking to Saginaw's GM Dave Drinkill he was saying uh one of the best smiles in the league was Zane Parek so I know that doesn't really count for anything in terms of scouting but you know nice to know in uh in a general sense uh just what he means to that locker room uh in the spirit yeah, it smiles per 60s off the charts, and that's all that matters that's here right. on the TH and on the O podcast. <laughs> that's right. Well, we are done for another week here. Tony, thanks so much for all your insights. THN on the O, brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Ryan Kennedy. He's Tony Ferrari. Thanks again for stopping by.